so it's funny when you were talking about like how they support um, minority-owned business. It's not it, it happens because people like us are inside putting pressure. Uh, that doesn't happen because they are oh we 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 care and like and that that's the hard thing that working for a brand that in the outside looks so shiny and beautiful and inclusive, but the inside is a completely different story. So I think that was the biggest heartache for me running into a wall of you're not what you portray and people think that you are. Um, but it's a lot of like it's up to us when we get into those places just to keep driving change for our community who should show up, you know. Mi gente, dime lo que lo que. What up? What up? What up? Welcome to another episode of the Key and Duetes podcast brought to you by Plural. You already know it's your boy, Pavel Martinez, bring you another special episode with another very special guest. Now, this podcast, our mission is to redefine professionalism. So every week we have a new guest join us and explore the conflict that they have experienced between professionalism and authenticity. Speaking of guests, the clip that you heard in the intro is with this week's guest, Claudia Camagro. Before getting into the full conversation, let me let me give you a quick bio on Claudia so you know her a little bit more. Originally from Bogota, Colombia, Claudia has been in the States for 20 years. In the States, she's been everywhere from Maryland to Miami to Austin and most recently Minnesota. With her experience living in so many different cities, Claudia became a melting pot of cultures that made her fluent in many languages, including my favorite, Spanglish. Throughout her entire career, she's developed a passion for multicultural marketing. But despite all the success, she's also had a ton of annual reviews that have been flooded with interesting feedback. You are too passionate. You have an attitude. Later, she realized that some of this feedback made her who she actually is today. And navigating the small agencies and the big Fortune 500 companies, she made sure that her voice was always heard not only for her, but for her community. I'm really excited for you all to hear this, this conversation with myself and Claudia. Before jumping into the episode, let me give one more caveat. In the episode, you're going to hear a lot of this sound. The reason for that is that throughout the conversation, Claudia actually mentioned the name of a previous employer in order to create a safe space where Claudia feels comfortable sharing her experience while, while also providing a bit of privacy and protection, I took the liberty of censoring the name of the corporation that she's referencing. Apologies for the additional audio sound effects. Hopefully you understand why we sometimes have to censor where people work. When listening to the episode, keep in mind that we do our best to ensure that we put a face and a name to these stories, but we also have to Keep in mind that retaliation is real, even if you don't work at that corporation anymore. Because we want to continue providing safe spaces for our guests in our community, we will honor these such requests. That said, let's get right into the episode. And as always, we start off with the question of what does authenticity mean to you? It's such a buzzword. And I ask Claudia, what comes up when she hears the word? I think after working in corporate, it got very muddled what authenticity was. <laughs> so I'm trying to, I'm in a journey right now to finding that authenticity for me too. But I just think it's like more showing up everywhere as your true self. The baggage that I've had my entire career has been always the feedback of I'm, I'm too bossy or I'm too, too much. Um, so I learned to tone that down. And I think that's why fit so well in corporate America when I was in that for five years but I think now I'm like no it's okay to be a lot and it's okay it's just who I am why do I have to tone it down so I'm on a journey to find that um, meaning of what authenticity is for me again <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's an answer but 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Nah, you're not alone. You know, what's interesting is that like, if I could do like, if I could search all the episodes and, and find out what words people use to describe authenticity, or like, some of the pushback that people have got a lot of mm-hmm. women specifically mm. have gotten too much. Like yeah. those very specific words, even before you got into corporate, was that something that you heard growing up too? Or was it just when you got like, into at, like at home, at home in school? I think at home, my mom, my mom is too much. So she always embraced that part of me. and just like being very like outspoken and just like, so when I, I guess when I got to school, more specifically when I moved here, so I moved to the U.S. 20 years ago. Um, I'm from Colombia and I moved in the middle of 10th grade. What part of, um, what part of Colombia? De Bogota. Uh, first yeah. of all, I love Colombia. I've only been to Medellin, but I want to go to Barranquilla. I want to go to Cali. I nice. want to go to um, Bogota. There's also Cartagena. There's so many cities in Colombia that I want to go so to. Many. But and your to go money, back. your money goes long ways over there. So you are <laughs> rich when you go there because right now the dollar is so expensive. But I haven't been back in 20 years. I'm a political refugee. Uh, so I haven't been back. So it's also like that disconnection of who I am as a Colombian, a Colombian in the US. But anyway, so when I moved here, I think I had to just kind of like, because you're trying to fit in, right? So I think in high school, I moved in, I started high school here when I was in the middle of 10th grade. So kind of like the fitting in, figuring out who I was, because I in Colombia, I was in like private school. It was an all girls school. It was just very different when I came here. It was, I, we landed in Maryland. It's a city called Gaithersburg. And it, the high school there was not the easiest one. It, it was, I saw, I've never in my life had seen a fight. And it was like the first time I saw a fight in a high school and like two girls fighting. And it just wasn't something that I had ever seen. So like even adjusting to all of that. So I think I had to like reevaluate and find who I was. So maybe that authenticity kind of maybe got watered down there too. I've lived, so I, we landed in Maryland and then I moved to Florida for school, stayed in Miami for six plus years, went to school there, um, started my career there. And then I moved to Texas, to Austin. But then there I was surrounded by a lot of Mexicans and Latinos. And like, it was still kind of like, a, it felt like somewhat familiar. It was new, but it was somewhat familiar. And then I moved to Minnesota where there's a bunch of white people and it's just really it was really hard I think I I lost myself into the I I needed to fit in and that's what I moved here for the company I was the the corporation I was with before but it was really hard tell me about that that part you said you know you started to lose yourself in what way do you think you started to lose yourself it was just again that that like same fitting in and then I remember going to an event here and I finally connected with two Latinas but they were models and so like the model are like stereotype here is like long black hair, thick accent, um, and like they're like very extravagant, which is like if that's how they want to portray themselves, awesome. But like I don't fit that stereotype either. I'm like I, I don't have lighter hair, I have lighter skin tone, so I just didn't feel I wasn't Latina enough to hang out with them. But I'm also like obviously not white to hang out with like, the other people <laughs> here. So it was like a whole journey of like connecting back to Latinos like me. So it, it was it was definitely a process of connecting back with my my Latino roots and because I wasn't immersed in it in Miami obviously like everyone's Latino and in Texas a lot of Mexicans learn a lot about their culture but here it was just nothing so that's interesting yeah no that makes sense too and yeah I mean I think I think that that assimilation or that wanting to fit in or desire to fit in, I think that's natural right like that's <laughs> biological like we always yeah. back in the day we wanted to be part of, we all were part of tribes you know what I mean um but it's interesting for you like I'm wondering 
like when you looked around and didn't, didn't see anyone that looked like you, yeah. um, what did you see? What did you hear? Like, did you start watching like Friends and Seinfeld and like all of those kind of shows? Like, what did, what did you start picking up? I, it was interesting because when I got here, it was a couple of things that I noticed was I, my entire agent, my entire career has been an agency side. So this was like the only and first corporate job that I had. And it was always like, for example, for lunchtime at agency with like my Latino co-workers, mm-hmm. uh, we would like stop for an hour. Go, We all go together to like the cafeteria or whatever. And we all eat and have a moment where like here it was just like eating at your desk. Like every, that was just the norm. And to me, that was so weird. Yeah. And also the fact that they, they have lunch too early, like 1130, they start having lunch. And like, I don't know. What time do you have lunch usually? I, you know, it's funny, like I, I take my lunch or I used to take my lunch depending on like when I didn't have a meeting. So like their workload. Yeah. Like it wasn't even when I was hungry. It Mm. was when I didn't have a meeting. (laughs) When you were able to eat. Yeah. Uh, But here was, they eat very early. They start like 11, 1130. I'm like, I feel like we're Latinos or like in my past jobs, also we've been like one, one thirty. So stuff like that and then like not being able to speak Spanish with anyone was really hard uh, I was the first Latina that was hired there so like not being able to speak Spanish with anyone not because I wasn't allowed to it was just like yeah. I, there was nobody to talk to you when I, I was used to like before in my past jobs to like just pop my head up and ask a question in Spanish and I get 10,000 answers here it was just like no it's just not so that was that was hard it's it's fascinating too because if you go into it mm-hmm. I see a bunch of people that look like me shopping around and maybe this is just like a low bar that I have compared to other like retailers, but I think they do a really good job of incorporating like other small businesses like Latino owned, Latina owned, and even black owned. But it's interesting though, right? Like just because the shoppers that shop there look like me or whatever, doesn't mean like the employees do as well. Like I just made a post about this, about, um, about Adidas. Like if you look at Adidas, you know, they mm-hmm. sponsor Kanye, they sponsor Beyonce, but their executive team doesn't look like that. Their board of directors mm-hmm. don't look like that. And then like, if you look at the number of employees, they like their diversity rates are like so low. So it's, I think yeah. it's always interesting looking at like marketing or stuff like that versus like mm-hmm. the actual employee base. Wasn't that what happened with uh, Beyonce that she walked into? Was it Puma or something? And like her line, like Ivy was supposed to be with Puma, but then she was like, nobody that worked on this looks like me. How? it just makes no sense for you to have my business as she walked away from it Um, mm -hmm. yeah which I remember that that story to me was like very impactful and like there is one of the reasons why I got into corporate because I could see that in corporate you can create true change versus when you're an agency you're you can tell your client but there's so much that you can do but when you are the client you can there's just so much power and I think with that power comes also a lot of responsibility right because yeah. Being the voice for an entire community and such a high moment, it's a lot of responsibility. So that can also like burn you out. It just, it's, it's a lot of pressure. I've also thought of the same thing. So I, I've never worked at an agency, but I've always been on the, on the platform side, as I call it. Mm-hmm. So like mm-hmm. working at Facebook, working at TikTok. And like, so I would work with brands, I don't know, like Samsung, for example. Um, but I'm just one voice in their ear, right? Like mm-hmm. Samsung also works with Pinterest and, and Twitter and TikTok, everybody, right? So I wonder sometimes, like, what would it be like if I worked at Samsung, like try to drive that change that I actually want to see, like at the client, 
Mm-hmm. So it's interesting for you, like you've actually seen both sides. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's very nerve wracking. I think there was a moment that I was like, I can't do it alone. And I was the only one. I started the multicultural creative team at and I was the only one. And there was just, I was literally on every single campaign. And I just said, I this is just one person's opinion. I can't, it's just not possible for me to represent every single Latino because also Latinos are not a monolith. So like, mm-hmm. I want to have a Afro-Latino here. I want to have... Uh, you know somebody from the then we hired like a Puerto Rican girl so like just those different like yeah points of views so then we started expanding the team and it got to be like I think right now they're about like I would say like nine creatives on the multicultural creative team so it was great to see it grow it's just I think I just could not be a part of it anymore okay I'm getting a way better understanding of like what your work is and all of those things so what were some of those things that when you were on the agency side you were like I wish I was on the client side because I want to see this, this, and that change. Mm-hmm. Before Claudia answers that question, let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsor. COVID-19 moves fast, and now you can too. If you feel symptoms, even if they're mild, you should test fast. Test positive and at high risk for severe COVID-19? Then act fast with authorized oral treatments that can be taken at home and must be taken within five days from when symptoms begin. COVID-19 moves fast, and now you can too by asking your healthcare provider if an oral treatment is right for you. Learn about a treatment option at treatcv19.com. This message is sponsored by Pfizer. For example, like allocating media dollars to um, different places that is not Univision. Nothing against Univision. It's just Telemundo and Univision are specific generations that is just not who the future customers so for specifically it's just like okay why are you not putting your money on like i don't know better like or you know there's just so many other places that they can be talking to uh, like us so that change i was able to make it happen um i was able to bring in so it's funny when you were talking about like how they support um minority owned business it's not it, it happens because people like us are inside putting pressure uh that doesn't happen because they are oh we we, we care and like, that, and that's, that's the hard thing that working for a brand that in the outside looks so shiny and beautiful and inclusive, but the inside is a completely different story. So I think that was the biggest heartache for me running into a wall of you're not what you portray and people think that you are. Um, but it's a lot of like, it's up to us when we get into those places just to keep driving change for our communities to show up, you know? Yeah. Like behind every very cool inclusive marketing campaign or every small business that you see within like a large retailer mm. there's a person that fought for that to happen exactly that's that doesn't just happen because like some white dude up there said you know <laughs> what we should bring him down that does not it was years of fighting for um even like a, a latino heritage month um campaign it was years of me like advocating if we need a moment we need a moment obviously not just me I cannot take the credit but it was a bunch a lot of Latinos that we had that as a bigger goal interesting and what were some of those walls that you ran into whether they be verbally verbal no's because of x y and z or just like people not even listening I'm just curious um a lot of the walls were more of like the the typical response of like we've never done it that way that's how we always do it like this is how we target like we've always had Univision as a partner so like that's how we do things and I'm like okay but like why have you ever stopped and asked why I think changing processes it was like the biggest um obstacle of people being open-minded of being even just understanding for example the Spanglish aspect of our realities as young Latinos and like that's literally I say that Spanglish is my first language like that's how I communicate with my 
husband, my Colombian is my my husband is also Colombian. But that's how we communicate at home. It's just like our primary. I only speak pure Spanish when I'm with my parents, um, and then at work it's just pure English. But like my true self, I I speak Spanish. Is that just like? But like they had never even heard the term. They were like, but there is no like media that addresses that. And then back then, Univision actually would like um, not let you run anything in Spanglish. It had to be pure Spanish. So that's how old school their mentality. I think now they're changing that, but that's how old school was the mentality back then. You know what's hilarious? So every brand that I that I've worked on at all these companies, I've <laughs> ironically, but I, you know, I don't think it's a coincidence. Like I've been I've been like the lead on multicultural to like sell into yeah. like the clients that I work with. So like AT and T or Samsung, whatever, right? So I go into these meetings and I talk to the 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 directors or the VPs of multicultural marketing at some of these corporations to tell mm. them that they need to stop. So that to, to tell them just like BuzzFeed will be like, yo, you should advertise on federal like I'm like, no, mm. you should advertise on Facebook, you should advertise on Instagram, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And like, I'll get the same feedback from them. They'd be like, Oh, but no, like, you know, we have all our needs met with Univision. And I'm like, mm. Do you realize like Latinos, they over index on social media, right? Yeah. Not to mention like all these other outlets and stuff like that. So it's some of the same things that I would get met with, but then I also had to realize like the people that I'm talking to, they don't consume pero like, mm -hmm. because although they're consumers of the brand probably looks like me and as is my age, the people making those decisions mm -hmm. don't look like me and aren't my age. So it's, mm -hmm. it's like an, it's like a fight, but also like an education that you have to do with them as yeah, well. That's what I felt like it's a lot of like me educating so many people, even higher ups. I had to like had a moment with uh, a, a chief executive of like, no, you're actually messing up here and I'm going to tell you why. But that's like kind of like going back of, of authenticity and it just it didn't sit well with me. And they're like, OK, you put me in this position for a reason. So I'm going to call you out when you're wrong because you are a white man from Wisconsin and I need to call you out, you know? <laughs> But I'm curious, how did you get to that point where, you know, for a long time you were assimilating, you were, you know, mm -hmm. trying to fit in, you speaking up to an executive, that is not fitting in, that is standing out, people will be like, whoa, did you hear her say that? How'd you get the confidence to do that? What happened? It was, um... So they used to have something called like uh, some survey that they do every year just to make to like get, get a knowledge of like how our team members feeling like are they happy are they like you know and it came back to like so it's supposed to be anonymous but they have like a specific question that like if you answer it a certain way they, they know that you are not a white team member so um, they knew that um, a lot of people of color that were working there were not happy. So it all started with like having honest conversations, like the 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 head of creative, he said, okay, I want to chat with you guys. I want to know what's going on. And it's like, okay, if you want to, if you're opening up and being vulnerable, you want us to do the same, but you also need to be ready to hear the, the bad, the bad side of things. And I opened the statement of um, my first day at was election day of 2016 that was my first week and I remember um specifically a white co-worker um she's a woman and she said it doesn't make a difference for me who wins mind you I'm like sitting right next to her and I'm a refugee and I'm like I can literally get deported during the whole presidency of former president that I don't even like to say the name but like during the whole four years I was with that fear of like I can get deported any day and my 20 years of my life here 
can be gone. But here's this person sitting with her white privilege saying it doesn't make a difference to me. So that was my first weekend. And that was my first impression of what it was to be uh, living and working here. That, that set the tone for a lot of things. And it put my guard up of like, I just need to like be careful who I talk to, who I trust, who I, and like the levels of true white privilege. I think this was the first place that I really like saw it. Yeah, that, that resonates with me a lot. I remember when, and I'm getting goosebumps about it, but I remember when certain incidents would happen at work. And not the election, but I remember like, I don't know, Trayvon Martin, for example, gets like murdered in the street or like any of these kind of like just public murders. And uh, I remember they never got acknowledged that work. Like literally no one would talk about it. And it wasn't until maybe George Floyd where executives like simply acknowledged it. It was like, yo, yeah. hey, hey, everyone, this happened. Let's hold space. Let's talk about it. Or they would say something like, you know. You know, if everyone needs, if anyone needs like, you know, some time off, take a break, blah, blah. But like simply just like acknowledging it started yeah. happening um, rather recently. I'm wondering, did you see a similar change like overall? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, with George Floyd happening here in Minneapolis, like we were at the epicenter of the change. So it had to be like, we pushed for a lot of like, you need to see us as humans, humans that I, I hate when people say, uh, when you step into work, you leave everything from the outside world outside like that is not a thing that is completely toxic that just keeps feeding into just this rhetoric of um you're not a human you're here to do a specific job but it's like we can't I can't leave that behind I can't not, I can't stop being a, a refugee once I stepped into a corporate world I am still that person and I am at risk of being deported any minute because I am still trying to figure out how do I get my green card all these other things but like that's in the back of my mind so when the specifically when the George Floyd thing happened that also gave me the courage of speaking up about all their things and I started sending people to HR left and right so I just at that point I had no patience for anything anymore I'm like you are being you're having microaggressions here and there you are a problem um, and I would tell my, my boss and I'm like I want to send them to HR and you guys need to figure it out because um, it just I at that point I was just fed up with um, obviously what I kept seeing with other team members, especially black team members, but they were more skeptical of speaking up. I, at that point, I had no problem speaking up. I'm like, what's the worst, what's the worst thing that can happen? Are they going to fire me in this moment where like, literally, this is what the entire world is talking about of like discrimination and like, it's not the best look for them right now. So I just want to take the opportunity and speak up. But it, a lot of it felt per like performative from their side. I don't know how you felt it on yours, but it was okay. They acknowledged they did, they did what they had to do. And I feel like that's fading away. Like the momentum is like, okay, well we did it. Are we back to normal? It's like, no, the world will never go back to normal. At least that's how I see it. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree. I think so many things that corporations do are, are so performative. Mm -hmm. um, and it's interesting too, because going back to that example for me, when people started acknowledging things, I kind of found it fishy. And I was speaking to a friend about it and I was like, yo, I mean, I get like, this is a big moment and I understand why they're acknowledging. But funny thing is that I found out that managers around the same time started being judged on their performance review on how inclusive their team felt mm -hmm. or how they just included a bunch same. of like D, D, E and I metrics. And I was like, Oh, word! Now that it's that now that it's affecting your bank account, now you're starting to to give a fuck, yep. essentially. Yep. So yeah, I agree. I think a lot of the stuff felt performative. I'm curious because because you, you alluded to like a bunch of microaggressions, and I could I have so many stories mm -hmm. on that. But any 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 of them stick out to you when you think back at some of those moments? 
Oh my god, yeah. Also, when I started there, there was one um, creative director. We were about to shoot a campaign, and we were looking at casting, and we had it like it was for kids, and so we were looking at all the pictures on like a table. Um, and I noticed there were no Latino kids. I mean, Latino looking. I, I hate when I say that because it's also like Latinos look ten thousand different ways. But like I, I the Latino. Um, so I was like, there is no Latino kids. Shouldn't we have some? And then she, the answers that I got from this uh, straight white woman was, there are some brown ones over there. And I looked and like the brown ones she was referring to were obviously Filipino. And I'm like, I, no, that's like it. I didn't say anything at the moment because I feel I don't know how you react to microaggressions but it's so like shocking that you're like fucking kidding me but like also you don't know what to say but now thinking back on it even now I get so angry just because like how dare you say brown people were like there's an entire diaspora of like what brown is means you know um so one of those that was like quite shocking yeah oh oh my god yeah yeah i'm not even i'm not even like exaggerating like i'm literally getting goosebumps about these stories mm -hmm. like i could see myself being there and then i could see myself as you ask the question like i don't know how you would react and i feel like we we don't even know until we're put in those situations you know what i mean like yeah. i i've i've gotten so many microaggressions and i'll say before i went to therapy i didn't say anything mm -hmm. because i didn't really know what to say or how to say it it's like I had a feeling, but I didn't know how to communicate that feeling. And one thing therapy taught me was how to communicate emotions and feelings before, like before therapy in that situation, I would have been like, I'll just shook my head and been like, oh, okay, moving on, you know, mm -hmm. now I would have, I don't know. I, I hope I would have said something along the lines of like, I don't feel seen or like, mm -hmm. I don't feel heard or like something along those lines. I feel like without therapy, I would have said something else. And then I would have got it like an additional microaggression. Like, oh my God, mm -hmm. like chill out. You're being so loud. You're being a lot. You're so aggressive, whatever. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, And I feel like we often don't know how to react to some of these situations. And then we get additional negative labels, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I hear you. And it's funny that you talk about therapy because uh, I was telling uh ex-coworker of mine, uh, I was like, if I could build that company for the amount of therapy I've gone through because of them ever since I left the job, I, I wish that was like one of those like new benefits that companies yeah. <laughs> to like go to therapy for free because it's like the, the trauma that we carry and like when we have all those microaggressions, we just carry it within us. And like, yeah. I still think about that thing that happened four years ago and it makes me so angry. And I wish I would have all, I have so many scenarios in my head of like, what, what I could have said, what I could have done, what like, but it's gone. The moment's gone. And that's just something that I'll have to carry with me for, I don't know how long, but I'm trying to let go. I'm, I'm really on that path right now. Like letting go. It, it was tough. And then how I left was also very tough. And I don't know. It's a very, I'm on that journey right now in therapy. <laughs> yeah. what, what do you mean that when you left, it was tough? I think that when I came here to, I had a very specific goal of, I want, I, I, and I remember telling my, my husband that I wanted to, take over multicultural and like make it a bigger goal for and that's what I did I created my own team all the things but then when the moment happened to step into being the actual director of that uh, team they gave it to another person that had less less experience that had been there for less time and it hurt it hurt a lot because I was the one to have the tough conversations I was the one to push the envelope I was the one that, so like in my head I was like there's it's just a no-brainer I it's my it's my position mm -hmm. 
So when they didn't, it was it was a slap in the face. But I'm also starting to say now, four months later, <laughs> that I uh, it opened the doors for so many amazing things. And the job that I have right now, where my new boss is very open. She's a white woman, but she's very receptive of who I am, the authenticity that I bring now of like, I am very direct. I am here. Honestly, I, I stopped. And maybe that's a little bit toxic, but in my new job, I'm like, I'm here to, to work. I'm not here to make friends. And it's easier remotely because you don't yeah. have that like yeah. socialization moment, but I'm, I'm trying to show up in a more authentic way because I don't want to set up myself into that way. And the other thing is that I made my entire identity. Yeah. I absorbed everything and I was just so, I drank the Kool-Aid too hard. <laughs> so, <laughs> it, it's good at the moment. It tastes really good. Yeah, that's true. That is true. But then when you're gone, it's like, how do you get rid of that? Of that, like, I still felt, felt part of it. And I still see my friends from here and there. And it's when they talk about, like, I still feel like I'm half FOMO and I, I want to be there. But also, like, do I? I don't know. <laughs> You know? Yeah, I know it's really difficult to talk about some of these situations because in many ways we're reliving it, right? Mm -hmm. I do just want to, I, I do want to let you know that although it may be difficult to have this conversation, I'm sure someone is listening to this, is watching this and will feel seen, heard. Yeah. And my hope is that it'll inspire someone to be the person that you are these days a little bit more outspoken, a little bit more confident in who you are and all those things. So, I mean, talking about these days, it sounds like you're in much more of a, of a safe place. Could you talk a little bit more about like the culture that you're in now, the work culture, maybe like the leadership, like what, what are some of those things that, that make you feel a lot safer now? Uh, before I jump into that, I just want to say also like when I was at the darkest moments when I found your account on TikTok and because obviously I was consuming a lot of like the toxicity of corporate America and you came across my FYP and like you were that person for me. You were like somebody else feels like that and somebody else is, has the balls to say it on TikTok and to me that was like mind-blowing and because of you I've started to post a lot more about like corporate and like job related things that I think are toxic or like um but yeah that's how I found you so I just want to say thank you because you were that person for me <laughs> wow that actually means a lot thank you so much yeah no your work does not go unnoticed and I remember I think you were just starting at the time and like but I've been following you ever since and I just resonate <laughs> with everything so every time you go on live I'm like oh what does he have to say and I'm like I, I just love your content so thank you thank you so much oh, of course um, and then the new job, I think the nature of I'm starting a new team again. It seems like that's just like the the path I have in my life to start new teams. <laughs> You're starting new teams, yeah. <laughs> I'm starting uh, the creative team in um influencer agency, which is um very different and it requires a very different mentality. But when I got into the job, my my boss, who's my boss right now, she told me a couple of questions that she did at the beginning, even on the interview side was um, she never dismissed my experience where, for example, when we talked about salary and the new job, she said, where do you want to be? She never asked me, where are you? Or what, what was your salary before? She didn't care about that past. She cared like, where do you want to be? So I shoot my number and then we got, we went from there. Um, to me, that change of like how she said things told me a lot about who she was and her mentality, like very like in the future, she had a vision. And then a couple of things, just when I accepted the job and I started working here, she was like, if you have any processes or any, 
anything that you think worked at like or other jobs in your past that you feel like we can bring in here please let me know like any process here is not set in stone we're starting a new team so like so that openness to me just made me feel like she sees me for who I am right now and what I bring I don't need to prove anything to her I never felt that way in this new job that I had to prove and for a moment in time, I, I, I suffer from really bad imposter syndrome. Um, but for a moment in time, when I started this job, that imposter syndrome completely went away. I felt seen. I felt recognized for my experience, for what I bring to the table. And it was just such a beautiful feeling. I think now it's happening again just because now everybody recognizes me. And you're like, mm, why is everybody being so like that? You know, <laughs> like, that's just... but yeah, I think it's just t- small changes in how people talk to you your boss your co-workers that just makes you feel a little bit safer yeah I feel like imposter syndrome never even goes away because as soon as you try something new it's like a new phase of there's probably somebody doing this way better than me right like I'm comfortable in corporate doing my sales job right but as soon as I start even creating content on TikTok right I'm just like I'm new in this space. There's people like you making way better <laughs> videos than me. And <laughs> I'm just comparing. Like, yeah, but that but it's just like what we do, right? Like we're mm-hmm. always um comparing. And it's interesting, my therapist told me one time, which is so true. She's like, we never compare quote unquote down. We always compare up. Like yeah. if I got out of even if I got like 500 followers, I'm never looking like oh, well, there's someone out there with two followers. No, I'm looking up and I'm just like, there's somebody with 10,000 followers or 100,000 followers. So mm-hmm. I, I struggle with that as well. Like I compare myself all the time. I'm constantly telling myself I'm not enough. Yeah. I wonder though, like um, that's something that I'm also like uncovering in therapy and like how that maybe comes from like even our childhood and just oh, yeah. Latino parents are very demanding and we don't, I, are you, uh, are you the oldest in your house or like uh, you have more on, siblings? Only child. Only child. Okay. So like that, I'm sure the pressure is even more like you don't have um, room for failure. You are the only one that has to show up for, for your family. And I'm the oldest one out of three. And to me, it's like, I have to set the pace for them. So like, even when I went to college, I have, I currently have like $140,000 in like student debt. So I was a guinea pig for my parents to know what my other siblings should not do so they don't have student loans they went to school because they got grants and they got scholarships and but when I when we got here we didn't know my parents didn't know they, yeah. they were trying to do the best but that's also like a little bit going back to the imposter syndrome of like the pressure of the first generation like he, us immigrants kids like we are suffering from a lot of that yeah oh and then when you tackle that on top of like work trauma and just life in general it's it's tough it's tough I mean we can have a whole session on therapy I I love that you're in therapy um not only in it but I love that you're talking about it because Mm -hmm. I think I think I think it's changing a little bit but I feel like a lot of people don't talk about it and that type of representation is needed so that someone else could be like oh I can go like the only reason I started going to therapy or that I felt comfortable going to therapy is because my one of my best friends, who's also Dominican, who was going through a divorce, he said, I was like, oh, like, how are you doing? Like, how are you getting over it? Blah, blah. He's like, I'm going to therapy. I was like, what? People do that? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. because of him, like, he was my representation that I needed to start going. Mm-hmm. You just need like, like that little push. But it's also like, I feel like in the Latino community, it's just such a taboo. And like, you go there porque estás loco. Like, but it, no, that doesn't have to be to that extent of going crazy. That's what I'm trying to avoid. My, yeah. Keep my sanity. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> that's why I go to therapy and like uncover a lot of things. And 
I'm a big advocate for it. I'm, I'm happy to talk about it. I am also going through some personal stuff of um, fertility with my husband and, and just us going through that journey now. And I'm very open about those things because for, to your point, it's like you don't know who's watching and no. maybe I can inspire somebody else to like be brave and, and step into it. And actually, I got one of my followers sent me an, an uh, DM the other day telling me that she went to therapy because I, I gave her the, the, the encouragement that she needed to like, take that little step. And that to me, that, that, that means the whole world like I don't I don't care about the brand deals I don't care about the followers if one person did that I'm like I did my job you know seriously same same yeah that's beautiful um I I also want to touch on because I think it's so fascinating like the influencer slash content creator community mm-hmm. because the way that I see them and I and I, I feel like it's such a dope time in marketing and content mm-hmm. creation right now because in many ways I think UGC is making a comeback Mm-hmm. where I think before is about like being very polished and all these things and not only aesthetically but like what content creators are talking about I think especially yeah. on TikTok is just like oh my god like yeah what you you didn't say that on your Instagram you didn't say that on your LinkedIn yeah. I was like thank you for finally being honest um and I think like you one being a content creator yourself but two at an agency full of content creators representing content creators like I see them as more like spokespersons or like ambassadors for their little niche community or big niche mm-hmm. community. You know what I mean? So I, I'm just fascinated by content creators and how vulnerable and open they are these days. I feel like they're also helping to what I'm trying to do, right? And redefining professionalism, but just like empower authenticity in general. Do you feel like yep. that too? A hundred percent. I think um, that was one of the big pushes to taking this new job of like working with people that are real. Yeah. They're not scripted. They have real lives and we're talking, we are letting them do their thing. Whereas in traditional advertising and marketing, it's like mm-hmm. you have a script when you go and shoot. Like, yes, you have like the glam of like the big shoots and the amazing directors and famous people and all the things, but like it's all scripted. This mm-hmm. has been approved by everyone and their mother out there. And like there are things that like, for example, would have never said um, about um, the LGBTQIA community and how it's rooted in like Black and Latino people that pretty much started the movement and like liberation on that side and I would never acknowledge that now I get to work with creators that are not scared to say that on their channels because they have built the credibility to say that and they're not scared of it so that to me is like it's a huge like relief of like and and a little bit of hope of marketing of like we we can do good things um while paying them because that's one thing paying paying creators because black and latino creators don't get nearly enough paid what what white content creators do but it's because we don't ask for it i've I've realized that we just don't i don't know how you feel but i feel like we are taught to be always grateful for the opportunities versus no you're contacting me for a reason you want me for a reason so like pay me you know so i've been there i've i've I've, I've taken offers. I remember when Facebook sent me their offer. I didn't even negotiate. I just took it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you were so thrilled. Yeah, 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 exactly. I mean, I, I learned from that. But uh, but yeah, I, I 100% agree. What about, it, It's interesting for you because you're not only working at an agency that represents and you know helps a bunch of creators, but you're also a creator yourself. And I don't know if you feel this way, but like part of this, you know, traditional professionalism is like, especially being in sales, like if something happens within the company, like I'm also given a script on Mm -hmm. like what to say to external people. I'm told not to talk to reporters, right? All of those things. And in many ways, I thought forever, I'm like, I can't share my personal opinion on like where I work. Like some, if something happens at TikTok, I'm like, I'm not going to share my opinion on TikTok. I can't do that. I can't Mm -hmm. criticize them. 
but like you also you have a platform and you have a bunch of followers like do you think about that these days as far as like oh this is what I can say this is what I can say and I'm sure that's also changed yes 100% so that's one of the I, when I worked at, they had an issue with me being a content creator because I couldn't work with any competitors but like to everyone's a competitor so everything except what tires can I I can't talk about tires like so it was really hard to convince them of like, let me do my thing. Because I also think that for Latino and Black communities and people, creators, we are built into, especially the newer generations, to, to having different streams of income. Having one job, that cannot be my only source of inspiration, creativity, and income. Like, that's just inconceivable in my mind. And it really hurt when they told, because I told them from the beginning from my interview, I have this, a blog and like, it's a package thing. So like, if you want me, you have to let me in. So I was very open and, and clear and transparent. And two years, two, three years into it, they told me, um, you can't do it anymore. They basically wanted me to shut. So I was like, okay, so if you don't want me to do it anymore, are you going to bring in the $50,000 that my blog is giving me every year? Or what's what's the trade-off here? They said, no, we can't do that. And I'm like, okay, so no, <laughs> my answer is no. But when I never spoke, um, when I talked about, and a lot of it happened during the 2020 uh, civil unrest and all those things, a lot of people reached out to me because they knew I worked at, so they wanted me to like, they're like, hey, why is you not doing this? Or why is you doing this? And and I always, I would say my opinion, but I would have to disclaim on that, like a little like text overlay saying, these are not, these are my personal opinions, it does not represent but they would, for example, they would never let you be a speaker at any conference unless you're an executive level. That really bothered me because I always love, I love this. I love connecting with people. I love inspiring people. I, I used to go to a lot of conference, be a speaker in a lot of conferences. And, and like, so when I got here and they were like, no, you can't do that. You can't represent. There was just a lot of like censorship there. Whereas here, when I told my boss and I, I obviously we got into the interview and all those things, I, I told her a package deal there is no negotiation she's like I really don't care what you do you can you can work with other influencer agencies I don't care like you it, she was she even said like you'll be even better for us because now we could have like you could tell us how they operate and we can bring that in-house so like it's just a different sub mentality of again it's having a vision to what the future employee and consumer is yeah you know? I think in my opinion I think it's less about like you working with competitors and I think it's more about them being scared of how powerful your voice is. You know what I mean? Like imagine all of these, I mean, like literally this interview, you know what I mean? Like they're, yeah. we're probably scared of this conversation, people hearing this conversation and it oh, looking that bad different. on their brand. It's a, I'm going to be honest, it was a very toxic place at the end. And I don't want anyone um, to walk into there. There was, there was this weird phenomenon that happened at the time when you walk in there with like your hopes up and you're, you're, I made it mom. I made it to like corporate America. I'm a, it came with a status, right? Working. And then you run into a wall and you have a hard break of like, it's not what I thought it was. So I was always very honest with like any new people that were coming to and like, if I had a chance to talk to them or interview them, I would say, I'm going to be very candid. This and this and this happened. Cause I don't want that to ever happen to another person of color. And even in this new job, when I was interviewing for my new team, I was like, it's going to be tough. It's going to get sticky. We're creating something together, but we also get it to make it ours so like I can't promise every day is going to be amazing one now we were going through this interview process for my new team she said remember that they're also interviewing us we're not only interviewing them so like in that moment they get to also interview us and think if it's a good fit and that to me was also eye-opening and like yes we have to make a good impression too and be honest and the, it was hard when I left of leaving that status 
right? It came with certain power. And I'm sure mm-hmm. you felt the same way um, at TikTok of like, when you told people I work at TikTok and like everyone's like, oh my God. Yeah. Um, the they shiny, put a, they put you on a pedestal. pedestal. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's, to me, is like the equivalent of uh, like a blue check mark. Yeah. <laughs> De- depending on where you are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That is true. Yeah. All right. So to wrap up, I mean, I, I love where you are now, um, just like how much you've grown personally. Um, what's one thing that continues to inspire you to continue being your most authentic self at work? Right now, because I'm in this new journey of being a manager and a director, right now it's showing up for my team. Um, they are my priority. Um, the work gets done if my team is happy. So they are my priority. I protect their time. Fridays, for example, is our flex days. And I make sure that by 1 p.m. they're logged out. If I see them on Slack, I'm like, what are you doing? Go have fun. Uh, you should not be here. So like, that's my priority right now, making sure they're happy because it was everything that I didn't have in the past. Right now, that's that's my one thing, showing up for them. And, and I'm just learning to be a leader overall, you know, I'm brand new to this. So I I, I want to be humble enough to recognize sometimes I'm, I don't know any everything, you know? Mi gente, that wraps up this week's episode of the Kim Duetas podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please do us a favor, leave us a rating and a review. It just helps us in the algorithm to ensure that these stories get heard by as many people as possible. Scaling these stories and experiences is the only way that we're going to redefine professionalism. Thank you and see you next week.